Six years ago, as my husband, Nate, and I were starting our company, Chatbooks, Shay McGee and her husband were starting their interior design business. And boy, has it been fun to watch them take off. Today, you can hire their Studio McGee Design Services or buy beautiful furnishings from McGee & Co. or something from their product line at Target. Or you can buy their new book. Or, as was recently announced, you can now watch them in action on their new Netflix series, Dream Home Makeover. Today, I am thrilled to be chatting with Shay McGee about this amazing design empire and what pivots and sacrifices she's had to make in order to build the beautiful life that she lives with her husband, Sid, and their two daughters. And lucky for us, she shares a bit of design advice too that I'm ready to put into action today. Do you have a pressing question about parenting but don't know who to ask? We are women supporting women and we've got you. I'm Vanessa Quigley, and welcome to the Mom Force Podcast brought to you by Chatbooks. Before we start, I have a quick PSA. Holiday season is upon us, and that means gifting, which I know can be so stressful. But no worries, Chatbooks has you covered with a perfect gift for everyone on your list, like a photo book series subscription for the grandparents so they can get all of the photos they want of your kids. Or you can go all out with a super luxe lay flat book filled with your best moments or a beautiful gallery of our photo wall tiles. Chatbooks offers high quality, affordable photo books that you're bound to love. Even the New York Times has high praise calling our photo books a gift that is more valuable than anything money can buy. Just visit chatbooks.com or download the Chatbooks app and use code PODCAST20 for 20% off your next order. Happy chatbooking. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining us, Shay. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. I have been looking forward to this interview for a long time because I started following you when we started our business about six years ago. Isn't that when you guys got started? Yes, we started about six years ago as well. So I've watched you guys from afar, but within the same state. Yes. <laughs> I know. And I'm so excited. I finally get to meet you. And another thing that I thought was interesting is I studied music and somehow ended up in software. And you okay. studied <laughs> PR. And now you yes. have this booming design business, a product business, a product line with Target. You've got a book coming out. How did a girl in PR end up being a <laughs> mega designer? Well, I guess the PR really helped my lack of design experience. Well, so much of it <laughs> is selling the story sell, and selling the sell, concept. You got to sell yourself. So um, it was definitely a big change. I, I loved design school. I took a few semesters of, but um, I really did not go the traditional route. And of course, when I decided to switch gears, I kind of regretted that I didn't go to school for design originally. But then just like life, you kind of see how things start to work together and fall into place exactly as it was meant to be. And I'm so grateful that I had the PR and marketing background to get my business off the ground because so many designers struggle with how to promote themselves because that's how you have to build your own design business is a lot of marketing. And so they did go hand in hand, but I did have to learn by a lot of failures through the design process when getting started. Did you always have an interest in design? How did you make that pivot? I always have loved design and style and fashion. And 
I am a terrible artist, which is what scared me away from Mm -hmm. taking design courses. And so I was going to BYU and I took an intro to PR class and thought, oh, this is a pretty like widely applied skill set. There was a lot of writing involved. And so I liked it. I liked the strategy behind it. And I graduated and started working in the field and hated it. I, well, mostly because I didn't like promoting things that I, didn't believe in. Uh, so I, I liked the actual strategy behind things, but you know, it's like, I'm having to cold call reporters and talk to them about like an insurance agency or so, you know, something like that. But I'm like, I just, it was really hard for me to sell and pitch those things. And so, um, my husband truly was the one that really encouraged me to go for it. I was so scared of failing and being bad at something and especially being bad at something that I so desperately wanted to be. I got this flyer in the mail for a community college in Orange County and it was like a hundred dollars for a course. And so I'm like, okay, I can tell, I'll keep it a secret. No one has to know I'm doing this. I can just give it a little test run. And I, I started taking classes and really, really loved the work And about that time we had bought our first home and that was, it kind of all fell into place where I was taking classes, redoing our very first home, um, in Orange County. And then neighbors and friends kind of started asking me to like give advice and, you know, help them rearrange their furniture. And then, then one step at a time, I got bigger and bigger. So when did you officially quit your day job then when you started taking those classes or as things started rolling? So I started in PR marketing and then I actually started a headband business. It was when like the homemade hairpiece thing was like really, really popular. Etsy was like it, right? So I started this business with my mom and I used my PR skills to pitch blogs. We got a lot of press, but what was hilarious was like, we were kind of doing it for fun. And then all of a sudden we had all of this attention and we didn't know what to do. We didn't know what to do. We were making all these things ourselves. And so we went with it for a while. And then we we're like, this is not fun. This isn't what we meant. We just meant to do this for like a little side hobby. So we, I closed the doors to that. I was working at an um, agency doing contract work for co- like copywriting work. And then I went back to school at night. So it kind of all happened at once. I dabbled a little bit in starting my own business and learned a lot of really hard lessons doing that. Went back to design school, was working in marketing. And then I found out I was pregnant with our daughter. And then at that time I was like, something has to give. So then that's when I quit my day job to focus full time on design. And that was um, she's seven. So that was about seven, eight years ago. So one of the things I think has really been amazing in helping your business grow is your beautiful Instagram. And so I think this is where your PR skills (laughs) come in (laughs) and how you've been able to promote the work that you're doing. Your Instagram is gorgeous and you've got like millions of followers. We have quite a few women in our mom force Facebook group who want to start their own design business and are wondering how to get started. Is starting an Instagram is kind of like a um, portfolio of your work. Is that a good place to start? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know about you, but these days, if I hear someone has a business, I actually look up their Instagram before I even look up. Cause you're visual website. and that is so because helpful to see person. that. And so, and I think that a lot of other people are that way as well. It feels very casual to just kind of like, yeah, I'm just going to take a Instagram peek profile and see what, to see what their style is. Yeah. When I started, I was one of the very first designers to kind of really latch onto Instagram and see it as an opportunity to promote 
promote my business. There were a few out there doing it. And I really had to look to um, other industries for inspiration for how to run an Instagram account. Like who, who inspired you in that? I looked at like fashion bloggers, actually. I think that um, there were a lot of people in the fashion industry that had realized that they were taking their fashion blogs and putting them on Instagram. And I realized that they were very consistent. They posted every single day and they didn't post bad pictures. They were always pretty photos. So it was kind of seeing that combination of things. I realized I had, I couldn't take a break in posting and that I needed to always post beautiful photos. So I took to Nicole Hill locally. She did this Nicole's classes, um, course. And I took her course several years ago and then like learned how to take my own photos very early on so that I could really create a feed that spoke to who I was as a designer. And that would be my best advice if you're getting started is like figure out how to take a good photo, get presets or learn how to kind of set up your images in a way that is flattering because not all of us have these huge homes or projects to start with. We have to create little vignettes, but even those little moments can speak to our design perspective and you just have to keep going. Like you got to commit that you're going to just post once a day, every single day. And, um, then that helps you gain momentum. And it's a grind, but you just got to keep it's a grind. at it. Right. And you yeah, mentioned, I'm presets. Sure you know that yeah. yes. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned presets. I have to do a little shout out. I know studio McGee oh, yeah. has their own set of presets. So if you really oh, yeah. love Shay's style, you can check those out. Where, where can they find those? Yeah. So if you go to studio-mcgee.com, you can click on our presets. I love our presets because they're interior focused. They just help kind of enhance the natural light of a room, but it's really, it's really all about, it's just all about photography and sharing your point of view with your audience. And even if that's five people, that will become 10 people, which will become a hundred. And That's how it happens. Well, you are a talented photographer. You're talented in so many areas. And in the beginning of your business, I know you did everything. And then your husband joined, right? Mm -hmm. So I love that you guys are a husband-wife team because I started my business with my husband too. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, in the early days of any business, you have to be scrappy and you have to use the resources available to you. Right. But there is a unique um, dynamic in husband-wife businesses, especially as you're growing your family. And you have two children now? What are the ages Uh of your kids? So my kids are seven and four. I have two girls. Most people talk about kind of waiting for the right time, but -mm. there is no right time to start a business. I thought I was going to take a break um, after having my first child. And then she was like a month or two old when my husband decided to leave his job and I did not get that break. So, um, you guys were all in. (laughs) And then, and then we quickly, we started me studio McGee when she was about a year old. So, well, we were kind of dabbling in it before that, but it's been crazy and I wouldn't have it any other way, but it is, it is, it is hard to also, you know, maintain a relationship as a husband and wife team at home and at work. And then, you know, just all the dynamics, being there for your kids, being there for yourself, being there for um, each other. It's, it's a lot, as I know, you know, so you're asking asking me the questions (laughs) today, but I have questions for you. I have questions for you. I want your number one tip for working with your spouse. What is your go-to? Okay. My number one tip is we divide all of the 
responsibilities, there's no overlap in our responsibilities. We consult each other, but Sid does not design the visuals for the Mm -hmm. company. And I do not touch the the financials and the organization, uh, the operational side of things. If he has a question and we consult together, great. But I, we have to have complete trust that the other is going to do their job in the early days when we didn't have that clear line of division between the two. Um, that was when we started butting heads and that uh, my best advice is to separate yep. for work. We do, we do the same at work. Now tell me about home. How do you do it at home? Do you have those same so, distinct divisions? No. So at home, it's like the total opposite. Free for all, right? Yeah. It's like, because we're running so many places, we can't have that no, that's your job at home. It's just like whoever is needed where and has the opening on their schedule to run someone to lessons or help with homework or do the dishes, whatever it is, you just, it's yep. team effort and there's a lot of overlap with our roles. Um, yep. at home. It takes a lot of coordinating to say, this is what my day looks yeah. like. So I need you to do this. Right. And, but everyone does all the jobs when right. necessary. Yes. Um, <laughs> tell us a little bit about what a day in the life of Shay McGee looks like. You- I started at six, um, five, five forty-five, six, six-ish. I wake up and I work out. It allows me to like focus for just one second and not check my email right when I wake up. Like I just yeah, like I'm to get same. out of bed, work out, come home, and then we've kind of worked it where like Sid is in charge of breakfast, and so he gets the kids up and like going. And then I come in and do outfits and hair. Um, and then we split to take them to school. Um, so it's kind of like me getting myself ready at the same time that they're, you know, getting Mm -hmm. ready. And then once they're off to school, I then sit down and I usually am booked back to back to back to back the whole day. So some days it's, it's podcasts. Some days we're recording our webisodes, our videos, and um, I'll have touch bases with team members. Photo shoots is a big part of my role, um, is directing those, brainstorming product ideas, um, and creating like mood boards for, let's say we have an upcoming Target collection and I'm thinking about where that wants to go or the next McGee & Co. collection. I've got to brainstorm ideas for products that I'm dying to see and then go pick up the kids and it's go time with lessons and dinner After and school, all of that. All of that good yeah, stuff. Yeah. So I kind of, I work like during their school hours, then we focus on family, home, get every kids. And then I go, I usually work for a couple hours after they go to bed and then call it a night. Okay. Yeah. We're two peas in a pod. That's about what my, what yeah. my day is looks that, like. Is that what you're yes. Yeah. But I have a hard time going to bed early enough to maintain my Me 545 too. alarm because I'm so tired. In those afternoons, like I power through work, but then by the time the kids yeah. get home, I am toast. How do you, how do yes. you keep it going? How do you recharge? Oh my gosh. And I'm a night person. Like Mm -hmm. for me, like the creative juices start flowing at like 10 PM. And so Mm -hmm. it's really hard for me to be like, man, I really should go to bed right now. And so (laughs) I can wake up early. That's a responsible thing. And then I just kind of keep, I just kind of, I have to, I have to be really diligent about going to bed, um, at like 11 to be able to wake up at that time. But one thing that works for me is meeting someone at the gym. Like if I have like a date, then I feel like it's an appointment yes, <laughs> and I can't let I, them down. I, so the if same I don't way. have someone meeting, meeting me there, it's like, well, 
that can wait you can blow that later off. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if I have to meet someone at the gym or meet someone, you know, for a walk or whatever it is, I got to, I have to do One that. of the things that I've, I've noticed as I've been busy, you know, taking care of our family and then building the business and you have to be so careful with your time is one of the things that I feel like I don't have as much time for are friends because that totally. just feels like a luxury. How mm-hmm. has that been in your experience and how do you carve out time for friends or do you? To be a thousand percent transparent, I think that that's like one of the sacrifices that Sid and I have had to make over the last few years. And it's been hard. Um, I think that when you list priorities, it's like family, myself, the business. And then those kind of always end up as the top three. And, and by myself, I mean, it's like, just like showering by the time you get through those three things in a day, it's really hard. If like, I haven't seen my kids all day, like Friday nights for me, sometimes like the most exciting thing for me is like taking the kids to the park or like doing something. And then I end up saying no to the fun thing that maybe neighbors or people that we know are doing because it's like, I just want to see my kids. But because of that, you know, when you say no a lot, then like you stop getting you invited stop getting to the invitations. I yeah. Know. And, and, and so I think that when you're starting a business, like in all transparency, I think that that's probably one of the most, Sid and I have talked about, like, we're so grateful that we have each other because we are the only ones that understand that dynamic of like, sacrificing these relationships outside of the relationship that we have. And I think it wasn't until maybe this last year that like, I finally was able to kind of get a moment to breathe, to like start saying yes again. But for the first five years of our business, I'd say it was a lot of no's. Yeah. Same. And, and it is awesome to be working with your spouse and have all that in common. But at a certain point, I also realized, man, I'm kind of (laughs) lonely. Like I've said no to all the book clubs and lunch dates and all of that stuff. So that is a challenge for people, for anyone who's thinking about going into entrepreneurship sacrifices. Entrepreneurship can be a lonely, uh, a lonely path at times. It's also a really rewarding path. I totally agree that that is one of the the hardest things is just kind of feeling alone, but then also having like these wild dreams and goals that you want to accomplish and having to kind of pick between things. All right. Let's talk about design. Okay. I would love to get into your brain, Shay, the design process. What is your favorite part of the process and where do you get your inspiration? My favorite part of the process, well, for me, there's two. At the beginning, when you have like a million ideas and you're trying to figure out like what direction or path you want to take a project or a space in. And then the other one is when you start to see it actually come together. The between is boring and it's hard because there's always problems. The ordering, the scheduling, all that stuff. Ordering, the scheduling, and then like inevitably the contractor is going to call you and say, you know, that thing that you wanted to do. Yeah. Well, it's not going to happen anymore. And so that, that part is kind of like, a, it's the grind in the middle. And then when it starts to come together, it's the install day is my favorite because like all the finishes are done. You're bringing the furniture into the space. And one thing I love about design is that it's a pretty organic process. And so you have to like really feel it. Like we'll be, we'll have these plans for a space and something won't feel quite right. And then we'll make it like a slight adjustment. And then all of a sudden it feels better and it's down to like inches and it feels like magic. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's definitely my favorite, favorite part. And I get inspiration. I mean, I think that 
Inspiration's everywhere, of course, but I always say that my favorite way to get inspiration is to step away from my screen for a second because after diving into inspiration, so like I'll look at a million pictures and then I got to clear my mind for a second, step away from it, get away from it. And then all of a sudden the, the ideas start rolling. So you do look at Pinterest, but then you yeah, step I, away. I mean, yeah, I love, I, yeah, I don't want that to be the only source of inspiration. I like to look at Pinterest and I also, I like to do this exercise before I look at Pinterest where I say, if I had seen no pictures, I had just looked at this room, what would I want it to become? And as soon as I start doing that, then the ideas start flowing and then Pinterest can kind of help you like see like little details like, oh wow, this cabinet detail is really cool. Or I like how they hung the artwork here. And then you can kind of start to do that. But I like to think about the space as I would want it to be without seeing other images before I get going. Yeah, because it's hard not to be really influenced and then wanting to copy exactly this one picture, which then stifles any creativity. Right. And I think a lot of people just don't feel confident in knowing what direction to go. And there are so many styles to choose from. And But a lot of people will just find Studio McGee and be like, I want exactly this. I want to copy everything, which is great for your... McGee Co. Company. It's <laughs> they could just buy everything. I say, you know, I think like if you're doing your own home, like that's exactly what you should do. You should find something that really resonates with you. If you're starting your own business, you should also do that in the beginning because you'll start to find and evolve your own style. And then you'll start to realize like, oh, that's what resonates with me. But you got to start somewhere. So we all want to design a home that reflects us and our family, right? But those of us with children, how do you do that with kids? And how do you, do you incorporate your children's style and tastes into your designs? Yes and no. Um, (laughs) Certain spaces, uh, right? Yeah. So like there are rooms. I feel like I'm not the mom that says like, you just do whatever you want in here. But I also really did kind of work with my girls through the process where like, what are, what are the colors that you hope to see in your room? And then they kind of gave me a few colors and I um, give them options like, Hey, I'm looking at this, these two pictures. Do you like one of these better than the other? Or what about these pillows? I'm picking, if you give them good options, you're going to pick one of the options that they're going to pick. A Um, pre-approved option. (laughs) Yeah. A pre-approved option. It's like outfits, right? I always feel like if I give my kids like good outfit options and they'll pick one that I still like, but then they still got an option, you know? Um, so that's kind of do what I, what I do in the home to keep it kid friendly. I think it depends on how old your kids are. I think if you have young kids, the living room, because you spend so much time there, there's a couple of things that I always say, like do an ottoman, not a coffee table because coffee tables have usually have short, sharp corners. And then they have a flat surface that you feel like you need to put stuff on top of Mm. and kids just take everything off. So if you do an ottoman, then it's like soft and cozy. And then you don't feel like you need to put something directly on top. So Um, in the kitchen, get stools that have backs because kids will fly off, off the, the back, back of them. Yes, that's happened. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's just an easy selection to make, like just do a stool at the back and it can still be really designer or cool looking. It just, it's just more functional. And then baskets, I put a basket or baskets all over our house because I just have to corral and hide shoes and toys. And yeah. it's just better. It looks better when it's in a basket for me. Okay. So that was one of the things I wanted to know is what do you do with all of their stuff? Like there's one thing to have it all up in their room, but stuff seeps into every corner and crevice of life. So baskets. Yeah. There's a basket in every single room of our house where I put things. And then I am, I am pretty on top of cleaning things out. Like 
get it out of here. They're not yeah. using it. We're going to get it out of here. But I keep ever I keep a lot of stuff in their rooms and their closets and Tupperwares and things like that. And then in the living spaces, my kids like, you know, like they love those like magnet tiles. And so we have like a bin of those in a cabinet and some games I hide away. But I usually am pretty on top of them bringing things back up to their room at the end of the day. We have to, it's like, don't bother with it during the day because it's just going to end up back out again. But at the end of the night, they know they end up like with like- Haul it all upstairs in their basket. Haul it back upstairs and yeah, and then put it back away, put it, put it away. So I hear you yeah. say one of the keys is to just not have tons of stuff, right? Be selective <laughs> in the things that you bring in your yes. home. <laughs> Be selective for sure. Um, mm-hmm. What about the papers from school and the artwork yeah. and all of that clutter that comes with kids? How do you handle that? We have a pin board in a little hallway off of our kitchen. And I am a firm believer in the pin board because it's kind of like a rotating display of all of their things. But when that pin board gets full, it's probably time to get rid of some things. And I have a drawer. I have two drawers where I put little like lateral file folders. Mm -hmm. And so like the little hanging files. And so everything that the kids have made goes in that. We collect those all year long. And then at the end of the year, they get to pick their favorite things that they want to we us to hold on to forever. I can't keep all the math homework. I can't keep all mm-hmm. this. So it's like any special pieces of artwork, let's pick them and then we'll keep them. Perfect. I love so. that. I also do the same thing with a, a folder for each year. And then yeah. one day they might go in a scrapbook or they'll just stay in a box to go on with the Exactly. It's like my mom. I'm like, you haven't touched. She just like yeah. hands me the box. Like, you know, uh, at least it's going somewhere. She didn't want to be the one that threw it away. Right. She wanted to hand it to me so I could throw it away. So, Well, I now <laughs> have four kids that have moved on and moved out and I still have their stuff. I think I might just have it for the rest of my yeah. life. <laughs> I don't know if you remember this, but years ago, I think it was about five years ago, when chapbooks first started their prints, our our beautiful matte prints, yes. we partnered with you guys and you helped yeah. us style them in a variety of beautiful yeah. ways. You can find that on your blog and I know it's on our blog still. Uh-huh. Um, and we use prints all throughout our house to, to decorate. My girls mm-hmm. especially, they'll have like walls of prints. But I yeah. just finished our basement finally, and we've got this giant wall that goes across the whole thing, um, actually, and down the hallway. I have a lot of open walls, and I have no idea <laughs> yeah. what to do with them. And actually, this question was asked on our Mom Force Facebook group a couple times. What do you do with a lot of open wall space? And so I'm posing that question to you, Shay. It's a little personal one-on-one yeah. Devi- design. Yeah. <laughs> what? I... What's I'm like all about the grid wall. So, okay. and that was one of the ways that we styled um, the chat books prints. Uh, we did it with a, like an ombre um, map, but I'm like a big believer in just like a really big grid wall of family photos. So, um, and then also like making sure that the color of the photos is cohesive throughout. So if you're going with like a black and white, that's really easy. Yeah. If you're going with a color photo, make sure that the tones work together Uh, somewhat but the grid makes everything look seamless but then you could do 20 photos so if you do you know uh or like I'll do like three three rows of three and that fills a really big wall yeah but go big on the frame and um fill your whole wall gallery walls are a lot harder you can go for it but it's a lot harder to achieve a high-end look with a gallery wall. So if you're like, I just want to keep it simple 
and get a good result, I always say go for the grid. Go for the grid. Okay. I mm-hmm. love that. Hey, can you give me a couple other rapid style design tips? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to just throw these out at you. I want to know okay. what is something that's worth splurging on when you're decorating your home? Your sofa. Okay. Your sofa is the biggest. I say if you can only afford Ikea, then get the nicest couch you can at Ikea. Just like do what you can to get the nicest that is within your budget because it just like sets the tone for the whole room. And then you can fill in with less expensive pieces. But I I say go with the sofa that um, is the best that you can fit in your budget. You've just validated the purchase that I made for my family room. Thank you. (laughs) Okay, Okay. nice. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, how about an inexpensive way to elevate the aesthetic of a room? always is going to be paint for me. But you it's, are a white girl, right? You paint everything I love white. white. I do not. Well, it's white behind me, but like sometimes a room calls for a really dark space. So if you want to go really dark on your walls, go for it. I'm not a big believer in like the mid-tone colors in main spaces, but I think that like isolated rooms should get color, can get colors. But in the main spaces, I like to keep them in the like light, really, really light neutrals. But color is a fun way to snazz up something. Uh, Yeah. How about if you are starting a new build, who do you hire first, the designer, an architect, or a builder? I'd hire the architect first and then I'd hire the builder and the designer somewhat about the same time. The architect like helps you get the plans in place, but I would not finalize your plans until you've hired a designer. So the designer will take the plans of the arc, like the first round of the mm-hmm. architect's plans and then help you see how it works then inside and out and make, help you make any adjustments or foresee any potential issues on the interior so you can get those plans just right. You want the builder involved in that so that you can, he can say, well, this house that you're designing is going to cost Yes, because <laughs> that's that important. Before you finalize those plans, you know, like, do I need to cut down on the square footage or like, have I made some decisions that are going to be um, more than my budget allows? So if you are building a house from scratch and you want to hire a designer, is there a rule of thumb on what percentage of your budget should go to the designer? I know there are a lot of people who want design help, but don't know if they can afford it. Yeah. So I would say that Every designer charges very differently. Most charge by the hour. And if your budget is not flexible enough to charge by the hour, I would find a designer that offers e-design. A lot of designers offer e-design now. And especially this year, is becoming more popular to do that. Um, and those are usually flat rate design fees. I would say that that's the best way to do it within a budget. But if you are building like that dream home, make sure that you just like interview the designer to make sure that the style, the working styles works for you because everyone kind of has a different process. And um, you have a, it's like a long-term relationship. Like it takes two years to build a house. And so you just want to make sure that their operations and communication works for your style of communication as well. For someone who is not going to hire a designer, it's not in the budget. Mm -hmm. They can't afford it. Someone like Katie from our Mom Force Facebook group, this is her question. She says, we just bought our first house and I'm feeling excited, but overwhelmed at the thought of decorating and coordinating things so that they look cohesive and neat. Any tips for basic beginner interior design? What would you tell this new homeowner going forward on their own? That's a really good question. I think that 
So when I'm designing, designing homes, we kind of like to have like two styles in mind. So like, and they're usually just, if it's like modern and traditional or it's farmhouse and bohemian or whatever it is that like narrow it down to two words. Cause if you're all over the place, yeah. then your house is going to feel all over the place. And so try to narrow it down to two styles that um, even if they're quite different, you can get any two styles to kind of work together, I think. And so if you can narrow it down to the two, and then I would, I would take inspiration photos and find one, the one that like really resonates with you and figure out what it is that resonates with you for each room. So if it's a kitchen, you're like this kitchen just really speaks to me. Then like take like a couple of elements from that kitchen and, and do them and then change up one or two things. Like maybe it's the countertops and the backsplash and the color of the cabinets that speak to you and then change the light fixtures and then like try a different like range hood style. I think that when you do that, it feels safe because you're getting like the core elements similar to your inspiration photo. And then you can play in a few areas that are more easily replaced, like like fixtures and maybe a faucet. The other thing that we always say is like a throw pillow test. So like, can you take a throw pillow from your formal living room or your, let's say it's in your living room and then will it still kind of work in your master bedroom? If so, then your rooms are flowing. And if not, then they're like probably way too different, except for like kids spaces. Those are kind of different. Cause it's like, if you have a girl's room that has like a bunch of pink, then you put it in your boy's room, that's not going to work. But in your main spaces, you should be able to take like one item from those spaces and then kind of transfer it to the different rooms so that you know that they're flowing. Yeah, that's a great tip. So you mentioned picking two styles. So what is your style? Like if you des- describe your design style, do you do it in one word or two words? What's the Shane McGee style? So I think that our business or our design firm, like we're always using our clients two words okay. and then we're kind of like putting our spin on it. So like if our client comes to us and they're like, I want like moody Californian, like those are Ooh, two pretty different good. styles, but we have like this co- project that we're launching soon that really describes that. And there are some things that we always carry. Like, you know, I love to incorporate vintage pieces, but I also really love a streamlined look. So I'd say that the consistent for throughout all of our projects is that we're mixing styles. So even if someone comes to us and they're like, I love a very very contemporary aesthetic, I'm still going to push them a little bit to add some warmth and character through texture in their space. And so I just think that if you go all in on one look, your house is going to fall flat and you're going to get tired of it. So allowing yourself to mix gives your home the opportunity to evolve over time. Is it possible to mix timeless and trendy? Yeah, I think so. I think that you always want the timeless pieces to be your really expensive pieces. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would like like, yeah, like that the couch, that you're yeah. <laughs> on, right? Or like maybe it's a huge um, dining table or something. But then trendy things should be your pillows. Maybe they're your rugs. Maybe it's a piece of artwork that you just like, you kind of fell in love with and it felt a little risky to you, but yeah. that easily comes off your walls without you having to like rip out your whole kitchen. Yeah. So I like that. I, I, I like to think I'm a mix of timeless and trendy. So I'm glad that you approve. Um, <laughs> if you guys want more design tips from Shay, there are so many on her blog and on your YouTube channel. I will have to say Sunday, yes. I binged your YouTube and it was amazing, oh, including oh, a tour of her very own home. You guys were oh, yeah. so gracious to give a tour in every room of the house <laughs> where Shay describes her thought process around the design and the decorating. And it's fascinating. I loved it. 
Thank you. For those of us who cannot afford high-end designer items for our home, you have partnered with Target for a line of, what is the line called? Threshold so Studio McGee? Yeah, Threshold designed with Studio McGee, and it is a dream come true for and me. me. I, yeah. <laughs> now I can have all the Studio McGee stuff in my house. I mean, I'm like the biggest, when I walked into that meeting, I was like, let me tell you something. I am your customer. Like I am a huge Target fan and I always have believed in mixing high and low. And I always, you know, when we first started, I didn't have the money to like buy new furniture and we had sold everything to start our business. But like I'd go to Target and then like sneak a little, you know, candle or um, a little decorative box or something. And it would like be part of our grocery budget, you know, it would, it yeah, would kind of fit sneak in, in there somehow. <laughs> Lift my spirits so much just to have that little, little item. And I was just over the moon to be able to create this collection. And the process has been so incredible um, to be able to design these pieces and to be able to go in and see like people using our pieces in their homes is awesome. And I uh, tried really hard to create really transitional pieces that could sit next to, you know, like if you have the Ikea couch or you have a $10,000 couch, I really wanted these pieces to be able to sit in any yep. level. Of I have um, put some in my cart. There are some that are not available yet. Maybe, but maybe, but by the time this episode airs, hopefully, okay. <laughs> but act yep. fast because I predict they will all go very fast. Can you just tell us quickly what are your three favorite things from that line that we should snag immediately? Yeah. So the cubes, we do these like Ottoman cubes. They yeah. are the most versatile thing. So you can put them, use them as like a coffee table. You can put them at the foot of a bed. You can put them in an entryway. I just like, I always style them in pairs. So the cubes, um, we have them in different patterns and colors, but I, I love the ottomans. Also, we have some large scale artwork pieces that are so incredible. And like the price point is is so good. The, the other thing that's... Oh, I can't name three. I'm going to keep going. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're launching this Sherpa chair. Ooh, I need that. Yeah. It has this like, it has this like great nubby texture and then it has like a curved back to it and it's so sleek. It's beautiful. And then my other favorite from the season is the tobacco leaf wreath. It's the perfect fall wreath. Oh, okay. I need a new one. I'm yeah. going to check that out. Shay, let's talk about your book, Make Life Beautiful. Okay. I love that title. When does that come out? October 27th. So how did you end up with a book on top of all that you're already doing? You know, I actually, when I first started, we were about a year or so into um, our business and we were approached about doing a book. And I went through every single hoop and then had the contract printed out in front of me and I didn't sign it. I just felt like it was not the right time and I just couldn't do it. And I'm so glad that I waited because we have so many more stories to tell and we felt like, you know, we share design content inspiration every single day, but we wanted to share what's going on behind the scenes, something that people don't always hear from us. And so Sid and I wrote this book. So Make Life Beautiful has been our motto since the very beginning, um, because we were choosing to make a hard situation in our lives um, a more beautiful one. And of course, that also really ties into what we do with design, but it really came from a place of like, 
this is a challenge and we have to choose to see the good in it. And so this book really walks you through from the time that Sid and I met to challenge after challenge after challenge that we faced in our business and how we have chosen to see opportunities from these moments. And we weave design principles. So every chapter title has a design principle through throughout. So you're getting a little nugget yeah. of design, but I've found that throughout the design process that so many of those design principles directly apply to our lives. And so we are so excited to share 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 what we've learned and also come from a place of like, we haven't learned everything. This is not the end of our journey. It's kind of the middle, but we feel like there are so many people that um, are starting their businesses or thinking about making a huge career change and um, they don't have to be design focused. And we've learned a lot and we are, can't wait to share what we've learned. Well, based on the response when I posted that I was interviewing today, of the <laughs> questions that came in, I know there are a <laughs> lot of people that want to know all of that story, Shay. So you're giving the people what they want. Oh, thank you. One of those design principles that you talk about in your book is trust your gut, which for me is really hard to do when it comes to decorating my house. I'm like, I don't know, especially when yeah. it's an expensive piece. Is it worth it? Am I going to regret it? Um, but yeah. talk to us about how that applies to your life. Like, do you ever doubt yourself? Yeah. And as a mom, what do you do when you start to, if you do doubt yourself? Do you ever doubt yourself as a mom? Oh, yeah. I mean, I... I definitely doubt myself as a, as a mom, as an entrepreneur, as just kind of everything. I, I yeah. have, we all have those moments, but I've always had pretty easy time listening to my heart and knowing if I don't feel good about something. And every time I didn't listen to that, something goes wrong. Like every time I take on a client that I feel like, oh, this, I'm not sure if this is going to be a good fit. Then I find out it's not going to be a good fit. Or every time I think, you know, maybe my kid isn't, maybe my kid isn't ready for this, um, activity or something. And I do it anyways, then I find out why, you know, I just think that the same goes for design. If I'm not feeling good about something or I'm not head over heels for, for some, don't buy it just because, the internet tells you that you or it's should on buy sale. it. Wait, yeah. Or it's on sale. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I'm definitely guilty. I'm definitely guilty of that. And so taking a second, like a beat to like look within, I think it's a skill that you develop over time too. I think that Sid and I have gotten better at trusting our gut the more years into this process yeah. that we get into parenthood and in business. Yeah. Well, and you'd mentioned earlier that you learned a lot by doing and mistakes were made, right? That's, that's part mm -hmm. of the process. And so if we can look at failure and making mistakes as an important path, you know, step yeah. on that path to figuring things out, I'm with you with trusting your gut, especially as a parent, you know, sometimes it's, it's critical to trust your gut. Like if you think your kid's lying, trust your gut. They, right. probably, they probably are. I mean, I have teenagers. Right. You still have sweet little kids. Not that my, <laughs> not that my teenagers lie, but I was a teenager who didn't always tell the truth. Yep. So mm -hmm. trusting your gut and design you know, that you can build that confidence by doing it. But as a parent, it's critical. Like if you got that yes. little voice saying something's not quite yes. right, or that might not be the best situation, or that friend might not be right. a good influence. Right. Yeah. It's so totally. important. Yeah. You just kind of, I, I feel like I had to learn by brushing off that voice to know to listen to it. And yeah, the impact, um, the result. I'm not happens. always a hundred percent successful at that, but I, I, 
I have really learned that there is so much power to just like listening to your instincts. For sure. I have loved chatting with you. I've learned so much from you. I can't wait to get this book. Shay, you're amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. Can you tell you. our listeners where to find you and more about you and sure. how to design and decorate their own homes? Yeah. So we have two Instagrams. So Studio McGee is our design business and we share a lot of inspiration and in our project photos there. And McGee and Co is it's McGee and Co on Instagram and McGeeandCo.com. And that's where you can shop all of our products. And those are our higher end design products. And then you can also shop our threshold with Studio McGee collection on target.com. And it's also starting this next fall collection is starting to pop up in stores. So go check us out. And YouTube, go look at all the house tours and all the design tips on YouTube. Yes. So YouTube is where we house all of our videos and we have project tours like that we've been doing for years. So there's just, there's hundreds of videos of beautiful imagery and lots of tips on everything from how to style your bookshelves to your coffee table. And so if you're dabbling in design in your own home, it's a really good place to look. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much, Shay, for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Thanks for joining the Mom Force. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review and come join the conversation over on our Mom Force Facebook group and check out the show notes for a special chapbooks discount code. Until next time.